Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everybody. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good. There was no pause. No. Listen, man. TikTok, time waits for no one. Try it. Here we go. It's already started. That's a little preview of the film we're going to be talking about today, because we are talking about the latest film from my favorite director, Shion Sono, Prisoners of the Ghostland. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I felt like it needed Um, it. It is my burden that I weigh everyone down with that knows me. Uh, my obsessive love of him and his films. It is obsessive. It's borderline it creepy. Uh, I think I've watched this like 10 times already. I did How? Th- How? <laughs> How did you... I did three just this week to get ready for this episode. Because I was just like, really... I was like, oh, I have to watch it a little more, though. Okay. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, then you should know all about it by now, right? I hope so. <laughs> uh, but, but first, like always, let's warm up a little bit and talk about what we've been watching recently. Uh, mine also stars Nicolas Cage. So depending on how you want what? to do that, yeah, I watched well, another Nick Cage movie. Well, what was it? I watched Pig. Oh, Ooh. how was it? How was Pig? Actually, really fucking good. I heard it was pretty good. Actually, um, not at all what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on, I have the I since I was just called a shitty ass <laughs> podcaster. Hold on. Well, that wasn't like on the air. Well, it is now. Because um, you brought it up. You know, pig. I actually had a friend uh, ask me like what we were doing, and I was like, oh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. He's like, dude, have you seen Pig yet? And I was like, no, nah, that's the one I need to get to. Okay, so 2021 is directed by Michael Sarnowski. Um Stars Nicolas Cage and then Alex Wolf, who was um, the kid from Hereditary. Hereditary, right? Yeah. Almost unrecognizable in this. Wow. Like, he's playing like a... It's such a strange premise of the film. Like I've it, heard it's really weird. Um, but really touching, actually. Um, it's strange because it enters this world of truffle hunting. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could think of was the Bob's Burgers episode where Bob tries to go out looking for the mushrooms and he like ends up in this like lost in the woods because they're like trying to screw each other over because the world of like mushroom hunting is yes. so cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nicolas Cage is a recluse, lives out in the woods. Um, has okay, a- what about his character? That, yeah, that's oh, it. that is yeah, that's oh, it. okay. All right. Um, he has a truffle pig, mm-hmm. um, that's the cutest fucking pig I've ever seen. And, and I had, and these are pigs that go around and find truffles, yes, which are highly prized by like chefs and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. I had to look it up because the type of pig it was because it's like super furry and like I wanted to pet <laughs> it. And it's a kune kune pig, oh, um, cool name, yeah, they're from uh, New Zealand, mm. I think. Um, the pig bit Nicolas Cage, apparently, because <laughs> they didn't have the money to train a pig, <laughs> so they just brought it on. Um, Man, he'll do anything to make a cool film. But the th- when I like when this got put out, they were like, oh, shit, this is going to be crazy. Nicolas Cage is going to be going all Nick Cage, and like it's going to be like John Wick because they steal his pig, and he's going after his pig. It really wasn't that at all. Mm-hmm. It was actually, and I'll probably talk about this when we get into Prisoner of the Ghostland, I feel like there's two Nicolas Cages that you get. There's either, there's the one that's like. Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's the other that's like, understands the role very well Mm -hmm. and like actually acts. You Mm -hmm. know, like, I'm not saying he's not acting in the other ones, but he's very controlled. Kind of the Raising Arizona, Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's off the walls. See, I have a whole but. theory about like his performances and how they range in quality. And I'll get into that when we get into the film. But 
Well, he was very subdued in this. Um, it's really heartfelt. Like I found myself wondering, like, how did this movie get this deep? Um, hmm. I, I, I saw it on Hulu, mm-hmm. um, oh, nice. but it was kind of, you know, it was raved about before, mm-hmm. but it is not at all what you expect. If you were thinking you're going to get a crazy Nick Cage performance, it's not it. This is actually really heartfelt, deep film kind of about love and loss and like pursuing your passions and troubles. Awesome. And truffles. Yeah. I didn't so know you, it was on Hulu, so I'll have to jump on that. I didn't either. I got on there the other morning just looking for something to watch and I was like, oh, pig's on here. Yeah. So okay. that's what I watched. Hmm. So you recommend it? Oh, yeah, totally. I thought it was really great. Nice. Awesome. What'd you watch, Dustin? I'll go next. I'm breaking the rules. As always, again, we construct rules purely Um, for Dustin. It is relevant if I work through it. So I'm going to talk about a TV show. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about Chucky, the new Chucky television series, co-production between Sci-Fi and USA. Read a lot about it, but haven't watched a single Uh, one. Don Mancini at the wheel. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the old cast back in it. Everyone that you would want to see or expect. Um and I really loved it. I quite liked it a bit. Yeah. I have a few hangups and some little like quibbles, mm-hmm. but overall it was like a very enjoyable experience. Very fun. Um, the, like the, there's about eight episodes and the first half is kind of like focused on this new story where it's like a new kid. He finds a good guy doll. It's Chucky. It just feels like almost like it's sort of like one of those modern, like reboot, but also a sequel kind of things mm-hmm. where it's just like, they go through everything. Da da da. But they have this whole like background plot of like, Andy's going like cross country all over America trying to track down like every good guy go- good guy doll and destroy them because this is still like in continuity with all the films. Hmm. So the last film Cult of Chucky, if you know it, you know that mm-hmm. uh he got this new ability that he could like split his soul and control multiple dolls at yeah, once. Yeah, that was actually a good movie. Yeah. And so this picks up like right on that and it keeps rolling so with it. So it's not like we're being told that we have to ignore everything <laughs> past no. the first two. That, that is one thing I respect about the Child's Play franchise mm-hmm. is that they've actually kept And it's going. funny because, like, they downplayed the bad ones, like Seed. I don't, I mean, some people like Seed of Chucky, yeah. and I respect that, but a lot of people, that's kind of the worst one in the series. And they, like, reference it lovingly, but they don't really, like, go deep with it being relevant. Right. Like, uh, they mention, like, he mentions he has a kid at one point because the, the main character, Jake, part of his, like, storyline is he struggles with, like, uh, uh, he's gay and his father, like, doesn't accept that about him. And Chucky's whole angle in this with the kids is like he's trying to manipulate them to turn them into serial killers like he is. Mm, okay. And so one of the times he tries to reach out to him, he's like, hey, man, I understand. I got a kid of my own. He's gender fluid. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> nice. And uh, eventually, like, all the old cast turns back up. So, of course, you have Tiffany, and they acknowledge the fact that she's in the body of Jennifer Tilly, which also is a thing that happened in Seed. Right. Convoluted story. Uh, convoluted, super crazy. They do a good job of explaining everything. If you've been out on Chucky for a while, they say enough that you're like up to speed. Because you kind of learn with the kids if you've not seen the films. Okay. At least they don't just piss off the other ones, though. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, I respect that a lot. It story may get convoluted and crazy, but it's like at least they're like, yeah, fuck it, it is, it yeah, is. They, they so what? They live you, with it. It's a it's a movie. It's a show about a doll with a serial killer soul in it. Fuck yeah. you. We're doing what we want. And you get a lot of flashbacks that kind of fill in some of the gaps in the history of like how he became a serial killer and everything else, how he met Tiffany. They set up like little connections that you've seen in the other films and you're like, well, what is that? And then they like go back and tell you stuff about it. Um, there's a good sub theme about like bullying across the whole show. Cause that's like how he kind of works on Jake. The main kid is like, he is super bullied by his, 
his dad, by people at school, like everyone. And that's kind of his inroad to like try to start manipulating him. Mm -hmm. But it builds to this good point that like Chucky is kind of the ultimate bully in the end, but he's coming at it from this like manipulative angle. Right. Yeah. So yeah, some cool ideas, cool themes. There's going to be a second season. I'm excited to see where it goes. And that's on sci-fi channel. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it aired on sci-fi and USA. Um, I assume it's going to have some sort of like broader release now that it's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sci-fi has their own streaming thing too. Do they? They well, they have their own app. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Okay. Um, I haven't watched sci-fi in kills, freaking kills years. Kills wise, man. there's a lot of kills in it. Um, you usually get like one good kill per episode. That seems to be the trend with like horror TV shows. Yeah. Um, but they luckily they don't skimp at all with Chucky like being Chucky. Like he goes there with the quips and the one-liners and stuff. Cool. All right. I've Same. only ever seen the first um, Chucky movie. That's yeah. all I've ever seen. You need to get in there and catch up. <laughs> I, I wasn't crazy about it. That was my. Problem. I've always been kind of lukewarm on them, but I, oh, what the fuck is this show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I did enjoy the last Cult of Chucky. Was probably my favorite. Honestly, it was quite good. Seen. All right, Jason. What All you right, got? I watched a new movie called The Deep House. Oh, I've been wanting Damn to watch it. this. I yes. want to see that so bad. Yes. Um, if you don't know much about it, it is basically a haunted house movie set underwater. Mm-hmm. There's this couple, they're YouTubers, so that's fun. And, uh, <laughs> they it? go to all these, you know, extreme locations, extreme. Old, <laughs> old asylums and shit like that. And they hear about this new place. Uh, there's supposed to be this town that was buried underneath a lake, you know, to create a reservoir and all that stuff. And uh, they find it, and they go down, and they investigate. Um, basically, this movie brings nothing new to the table except for the premise and the setting. Of the underwater thing. Right. Because um, you, you've seen all this before, but you've never seen it underwater. And I it, it heard works. they hired like professional divers to be some of the ghosts. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it's good. I like the movie a lot. Uh, it makes things a lot creepier, especially if you don't really like being underwater. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm not a water person. I think I have thacelophobia. <laughs> I don't know if it's fear. I think it's fear of deep water is mm-hmm. what that is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I have that. Right. And if you're affected by that, then this movie will probably affect you even more. Ooh. But it's really well made. I mean, technically, it's really cool. It's from the same people who did Inside. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. This was the other film this year, too. It was at all the festivals, but it was always like in-person only, or you had to like beseech them to get a screener. Right. So they were like real tight about it. I was, I was told I had to actually give a blowjob to, to watch it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what they told me. I mean, I still didn't get to see it. <laughs> It's just what happened. I mean, you got to vet these people, dude. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pandemic. Uh, but that, that pleases me that it's good though, because the two I really wanted to see that were like at all these festivals that were like kind of hard to get to was the Night House and mm-hmm. then this one, right? And both of them turned out to be awesome, I guess. So yeah, just don't expect anything like original story wise, because mm-hmm. it is pretty much just on a haunted house movie. Um, there's some verbal nods to Lovecraft. Uh the plot, I mean, the plot is pretty thin, and this is like, because <laughs> this is one of those movies where this couple uh, puts way too much trust in a stranger, mm-hmm. yeah. and you're like, why are you doing this? Have you never seen a horror film? What is wrong with you? Uh, you mean like if they told you that they'd let you watch this movie if you gave them a blowjob? Right, 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 right. Is that what you're referring to? Sure. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I think I say check it out. It's pretty good. I watched it on Amazon. Had to pay for it. It's not free yet, Michael. Sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, worth it though. But it's like six bucks, so totally mm. worth it. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. Alright, so today we are talking about Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Shion Sono's latest film, his first technically quote unquote American movie. And I thought there's nowhere better to start than with a quick go over about this director and who he is and kind of a bit of his filmography because I am obsessed with them and you will eventually on the course of the show through the years as we go hear about him a lot. Strap I, in people. Strap in. <laughs> I want to say that we actually said you could take a shot if Shion uh, Sono was mentioned. So you might oh, God. <laughs> we'll just take one shot for the whole episode. Yeah, you might just ought to take it a little easy. Call your designated driver if on you're not home. One. Yeah. Uh, so Sono was born in Aichi Prefecture in 1961. Um, he's had an interesting life just outside of film in general. At the age of 17, he ran away from home and ended up falling in with a cult, which is actually a big inspiration on one of his films, Love Exposure, which is often seen as kind of like his greatest work by a lot of people. Is that the four-hour one? Yeah, it's the four-hour one. Fuck. So, which is amazing. <laughs> it actually is a really good movie. Um, it's four hours. I know. It does not waste a second of your time, though. It didn't feel like four hours. I mm. mean, even the extended editions of Lord of the Rings aren't four hours. Well, the thing is, is like if you if you watch it, and you will one day because I will make you. Um, <laughs> when you look at it and you say like, okay, let's cut this down. There's nothing you can cut because it all like layers on top of each other. Surprisingly, it does work pretty well. Yeah, yeah. If Jason will say that, and you know Jason. Yeah, I don't like long movies typically. I mean, they have to earn it. They have to be long for a reason. <laughs> to earn it. <laughs> they do. I'm sorry, you know? So, and, uh, yeah, Love Exposure does. Very nice. <laughs> so, so Uno uh, started his career working actually as a poet, and he was involved in a lot of other things. He's done like painting. He's been in like weird art collectives where they've done like street performances and stuff. Um,. But kind of as a teen and then going into college, he made some short films on Super 8 and some like student movies. And those are actually out there. You can watch them. They made a collection. I think it's called the Before Suicide Collection, where it's sort of all his earlier student films and like very initial works that he did. Is it on the YouTubes or something? It's out there. It's a weird thing because they released it in Japan. And I remember when the marketing came out for this, they were like trying to get like different distributors to pick it up to release and no one in America ever snatched it up, and I was like, God damn it, why? Oh, that's not surprising. <laughs> um, it's very niche. But they finally got an English release, and I think it was, a, it was a weird thing where it was like on iTunes, and you could buy them digitally in parts. I think like a British company or some European company had the rights, hmm. and they had them with subtitles, and I don't even know if they're listed anymore now. I'm totally out of like the Apple economy anyways, so I can't check, but uh, in the interim of that, they've like filtered onto YouTube and other places too, okay. so... If you go hunting, you can find them. Okay. Um, Do you have to go to the dark web or anything? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so technically his first full feature was Bicycle Size in 1990. After that, he went on to do several other indie projects and shorts all throughout the 90s. Uh, most notably was this epic, very lengthy film called Bad Film, which was uh, a thing he worked on with that art collective he was a part of. And it was actually never finalized and released until 2012, way after the fact. Hmm. Uh, he first became prominent kind of worldwide and known with 2001 Suicide Circle, or as it is localized here in America, Suicide Club. My made... personal favorite of the ones of his I've seen. Nice. It's an amazing film. It was the first film I saw by him. It made a huge splash internationally at film festivals and kind of shot his name up there to like everyone in the film festival circle was like talking about him. Great movie. 
Um, he followed it a few years later with a partial prequel, partial sequel, Noriko's Dinner Table, that kind of expanded the lore of that whole storyline. And he eventually wrote a novelization of both of them blended as one, which sadly does not have an English release. Um, and you haven't learned Japanese just to read it. I should, yeah. You should, totally. Fucking fake-ass fan. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh no, my imposter syndrome is kicking in. Yeah. Um, so in the wake of that, one of his hopes was that he would kind of get to make, like, you know, the American movie after that. Uh, it didn't really pop off that way, though, and he took his own stab at it in 2005 with Hazard, which was a crime film that he made shot entirely in New York, guerrilla style, with handicams. Cool. It's a fun film. It's kind of overlooked in his filmography but it has this very like scorsese vibe to it is it english language mostly yeah, yeah. so couldn't you say that's his first american film technically but if you look at the marketing of this they don't acknowledge that one so i wonder i wonder what the logic is in that um there is none so then in 2008 he made the aforementioned love exposure this big four-hour epic which is actually longer i think it was originally like six or eight hours and he trimmed it down wow <laughs> it may have been a bit much <laughs> um, and that also served as the first entry into what is called his hate trilogy, followed up by Coldfish and Guilty of Romance. It's, oh yeah, Coldfish. That's the other one I need to watch sometime. That was a, a serial killer flick, and I think it got released over here by like it was bloody disgusting, or I like they so. had a they had a label for. A I think it's still on Shutter too. It might be yeah, Shutter, Amazon Prime, or one. Um, but it's a thematic trilogy linked by examining the ideas of love and hate the most extreme emotions that people can have, which DeSono, he had said that he thought that those two emotions were like intimately linked and he wanted to explore like the just juxtaposition of those across film in different settings. Um, he's a very prolific director. He's made like upwards of 30 some films now. Uh, 2015 is fun to talk about because that was a very prolific year for him. In that one year, he released five separate films. Uh, Shinjuku Swan, which is sort of like a... Uh, Yakuza-ish, like, crime thing uh, based on a manga, uh, Love and Peace, which is almost like a family film hmm. kind of thing. You've seen that, yeah, I saw that one, yeah. Uh, Tag, which is a J-horror film. The Whispering Star, which is like this slow, kind of somber, like, sci-fi drama. And The Virgin Psychics, which is almost like, what would you call that, like a raunchy yeah, like, sex comedy? Sex oh, I, comedy. I saw that one. Yeah, which you've seen, Michael. Yeah. I subjected that to you. I it saw was that amazing. One. It, it was fun. funny. Yeah. Um, which it was is funny. actually a theatrical adaptation of a TV show that he worked on. So yeah, he's, he's gotten around and done a lot of stuff. Um, he's hit the streaming world in 2017 with the miniseries Tokyo Vampire Hotel, which he did for Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. And that's still out there and on there. It's easy to access if you want to check it out. Um... And then he followed that up in 2019 with The Forest of Love for Netflix. I think I've seen the cover of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that also has a longer cut that I think Netflix has up as like a miniseries you can watch if you oh, want to see. Like they did with The Hateful Eight? Yeah, same deal. Uh, yeah, so that's a quick run through his filmography. There's so many other films that are amazing and that I would like to talk about, but I don't want to spend the whole episode just on that, so... There's a big overview with a few highlights. Yeah, nobody wants a four-hour podcast. <laughs> um, he's hit almost every genre, I think, across his filmography, which is one of the things I really like about him is that he won't, he doesn't never get like pigeonholed into one little, like he has stylistic elements, I think, just about him as a director, mm -hmm. but he never like stays in one lane with anything, right? which is cool. That seems easier in places like Japan too, though, mm -hmm. whereas here directors and actors always get typecast and right. stuff. Yeah, it's like a lot of directors will take projects just so they can do something slightly different. Like, mm -hmm. it's in their contracts to do that. Which, if you look, like, the other big one to talk about, I guess, is Takashi Miike, who's 
so many films that he's made. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of just know him for like the Yakuza films or his crazier stuff like Audition, but he's done like, you know, romantic dramas and just everything. everything yeah. So I think that's enough on Sono for now. I will restrain myself kindly. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll revisit it in future episodes, I'm sure. So let's talk about the film itself, Prisoners of the Ghostland, and I will hit you with a synopsis right out of the gate. Set in the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, where a ruthless bank robber is sprung from jail by the wealthy warlord, the governor, whose adopted granddaughter Bernice has gone missing, the governor offers the prisoner his freedom in exchange for retrieving this runaway. Strapped into a leather suit that will self-destruct in three days, the bandit sets off on a journey to find the young woman and his own path to redemption. Okay. Sure. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. That's a... Somebody who didn't actually watch the movie yep. summarized it. Someone, I mean, that's, someone that's paid to write it. It's kind of there. I mean, okay. yeah. <laughs> all those things are true of the film. They are true. So like we do with anything, let's start with the name of our show. What genre is this film? Fuck if I know. Um, I think it is action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Science fiction, probably. Mm-hmm. This is obviously like set in the future. Fantasy. Maybe a little. Samurai. Well. Hey, let me hit you with some facts. Okay. IMDB calls it an action sci-fi thriller. Yeah, that's probably pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Wikipedia, they determine it to be a horror western, which I think is odd. There's no horror in this movie. No. No. Um. I had the chance to screen this at Fantasia and write a review for it, which was super fun. I was happy to contribute to being one ripple in the pond in support of this film. In my review, I called it a radioactive psycho western, which is not an actual genre, but it felt <laughs> it should be. It felt be. truer to what this film was than yeah, that's that. a good description. Uh, when you look at it, I think you see you see elements of sci-fi with like post-apocalyptic cinema. You see uh, Jita Geki films, samurai epics, and you see a lot of western tropes. Mm-hmm. Have you on the westerns? I, I still don't know what happened in this movie. So <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm, okay, so we'll, I'm going to heavily we'll, lean on you all to explain it. We to will me, briefly go through some of the events in the film. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> um, a little bit of background on the film before we go deep. Uh, so this first got announced like the latter part of 2018, and it was hyped up. It was his, you know, Sono's English language debut, quote unquote. Let's forget Hazard, I guess. Uh, they super leaned into the Nick Cage angle because he's been on just a monumental spree of awesome movies the last few years. Has he? <laughs> Debatable, I guess. I think you could say he's been on a spree of accepting who he is mm. in films and just doing it. And XYZ Films is actually involved in the production on this, which is the fourth time Cage has worked with them. And so in the past, he's worked with them on Mom and Dad, Mandy, and Color Out of Space. Okay. I did enjoy Mandy and Color Out of Space. I liked those a lot. Yep. Two very different Nick Cage performances, though. Oh, yeah. Totally. But both fairly subdued. Yeah. I'm, well, I don't know. Did you call Mandy subdued? His performance is fairly subdued. For Nicolas Cage, I'm saying. He yeah, that's great true. on the curve. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go balls to the wall or anything. <laughs> right. Okay, anyway. um, early 2019, they had most of their cast compiled, and then tragedy struck as Sono had to have emergency surgery following a heart attack. Oh! And it immediately pumped the brakes on the film, and it kind of went into a limbo of, like, what's going to happen? 
I remember that day because I was very stressed out about it, <laughs> as you might imagine. I could imagine. Um, he pulled through, though. He's okay. But it really, like, impacted, like, they wanted to shoot everything in America and do this, like, bigger production. And that kind of, like, really put a halt in that. That's interesting. I think that may attribute to some. And I think that colors how the film turned out. Yeah, big so, time. That, yeah, that makes some sense now. Um, okay. Eventually, what got decided, and Cage was actually the big one that pushed for this, is that uh, he wanted to move the production where they were going to shoot in Mexico to Japan so that it was easier on Sono and kind of like adapt the story to fit that locale That's a cool. little more. Um, but because of that, different people in the cast dropped out because they didn't want to go to Japan for it. You know, they had what other the engagements. Fuck's their problem? Hey, you want to uh, go to Japan and get paid for it? <laughs> yes, please. We know I that would go in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, yeah. things are scheduled and then sure. stuff changes. So, right. um, the real notable one is that originally the heroine of this film, Bernice, was supposed to be played by Imogen Poots. Imogen Poots. Who I know best from Green Room. Amazing film. Yeah. She's the leading lady in that. She's good in that. Yeah, she's good I only at- say that because we looked up how to pronounce her name right before we started. <laughs> and there was a it was a funny like YouTube thing that just kept saying Imogen Poots over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, that's what you two were doing. Okay. Imogen yeah. Poots. Uh, great actress. She had yeah. to drop out. So um, Cage, I guess, helped a lot with like recasting people and getting people in. And so that's how we end up with uh, Sophia Butella in the leading lady role now. Um, and Ed screen was originally cast as one of the supporting characters, psycho who we'll learn about when we get a little more into the plot. He had to drop out as well. And that was when they brought in uh, Nick Casavetes. Casavetes. Yeah. Which was also kind of a cool inclusion because he and cage had worked on face off and then like never again since then. So it was like an interesting reunion for the two of them. Okay. Which one was he? The not John Travolta one. No, no, no. In this film? God damn it, yes. Uh, Psycho, his partner in crime. Okay, okay, okay. He looked really familiar. <laughs> and I couldn't place him. Jason. What, yes? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's my house. I don't care. Go. Um. Go somewhere else. Let the and Dustin finish this. <laughs> go somewhere else. So notably often Sono will write his films too. He writes it, directs it, does the whole whole spiel. This one actually was written by other people. Uh, it's a script by Aaron Hendry and Reza Sixo Safai. And from what I've gathered, Safai is kind of like the mastermind of this, like as far as like the original inception of the idea. Um, I do still think you see a lot of like Sono's elements in there, even if he didn't write it though. Hmm. Just like the visual flair and stuff. Oh, visually for sure. Uh, when they marketed the film, Nick Cage described it as the wildest movie that he's ever made. That was brilliant marketing. Yes. Uh, the funny- I, it's not. I don't no. think by any means it's the wildest movie I've ever <laughs> seen. I mean, Mandy would definitely probably take the cake for me on that one, but that was brilliant marketing. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Sono actually disagreed with him when he said it and said that he thought that his favorite Cage movie, Wild at Heart, was crazier. A lot of people love that God, one. I love Wild at Heart, dude. A lot of people love that one. If we were going to talk about like favorite Nicolas Cage movies later, that's yeah, that's the one I would put at the top. What are you doing? I got green shit on my fingers. <laughs> I looked over and you do have your hands are completely green. Yeah, I know. I was playing with oh. this wrapper. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess now let's move more into the film itself and actually dig in. That's enough. Yeah. Prelude. Uh, yeah. Let's 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 do it. So the film opens immediately on this very artistic shot of this bank, and it's this nice like color contrast, right? Of like stark white walls. Everybody's in these very bright, very kind of pastels mm-hmm. and everything. 
it's like a giant gumball machine because right. a gumball machine features prominently in this scene mm-hmm. and everyone is dressed like those gumballs. I get that now. I did not pick up on that initial <laughs> watching. Little little interesting metaphor, this Michael. Is gonna if be you can... a, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting episode for me. It's going to um, be very enlightening. <laughs> so it's, it's very serene, very quiet, and then immediately the door bursts in and you've got these two bank robbers that rush in, uh, Nick Cage and Nick Cassavetes. Uh, Cage is never really named in the film. He eventually gets referred to as Hero by a lot of people, so that's kind of the name you go with for him. And Nick's character is just referred to as Psycho. Yes, which is exactly the name of the partner you want to team up with for a bank heist. Uh-huh. Um, and it's this great contrast of like the serene silence of the scene, and then they burst into it like max volume shouting. Yeah. Immediately, like, you know, put the money in the bag. Unhinged Nicolas Cage at yeah. that point, too. Like, Going full blast. Yeah. And you notice there's something weird about Psycho, and he's kind of staring at this little kid at the gumball machine. And the kid just, you know, offers him a gumball. And then it seems like he just loses it and starts to shoot or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Because we don't see the whole scene. It kind of cuts. Right. Right. It looks like he's going to shoot him, but mm-hmm. um, Nicolas Cage steps in and like, mm-hmm. at least we don't necessarily see if he does shoot him or not. But he's right. like, you can fucking kill, kill a kid. You know, like it's clear. It's a bit of a vague setup. Yeah. To start. Yeah. So then the next thing we see is this samurai town, the setting, one of the predominant settings of the film which is this weird mix of like a Wild West town and like a samurai it's a very cool feudal set. Japan era yeah, I like city. It. it feels very anime. Um, and I actually wanted to mention a film here when we talk about the aesthetics of this movie and this whole like Wild West meets samurai epic thing. Uh, Mike in 2007 made a film called Sukiyaki Western Django. Yeah. I've and that's that. actually one of the closest films if you want to get the same tone as this. It doesn't have the apocalyptic elements. But just that, like, samurai westerny vibe. Yeah. That's one film I super thought of with the uh, visuals in this. Not the visuals so much, but the basic feel. Also reminded me of Peace Hotel. Did you ever see that one? I actually haven't. Uh, directed by uh, Kafa Wei. It has Chow Yun-Fat in it. It's basically, yeah, it's like a western, pretty much set in Japan. Interesting. I'll have to look yeah. that up. Does Chow Yun-Fat kick ass? Of course he does. It's Chow Yun-Fat. What <laughs> else is he going to do? I don't know. Um, yeah, but it's it's this neat thing, too, where it is like, you know, kind of like a feudal era place, but also there's like neon lights everywhere, and right. signage and stuff, digital signs. Immediately, you kind of get the impression that it's dystopian, set in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of pans through, and we see it's almost like a red light district kind of thing, because they've got like the women dressed up as like geishas in the windows, just sitting out there. Mm-hmm. And we meet our one of our main characters, Bernice, played by Sophia Batella. And she's running away with her friends. Yes. We don't get a lot of context for why, but they hop in a car, they take off and start driving down the road out of the city, which that's kind of another like break in things. Everything looks, you know, like in the past mostly, and then they get in a car and drive off. Right. So that's another tip off that you're in some sort of like dystopian time right? where things have kind of like reverted back. Um, and there's just a little bit of dialogue to kind of get you like what's going on. They're running away from home. One of the girls with her kind of remarks like, um, he says, are we free? Is this what it feels like? We've never been out of the city before. And she kind of you know, replies, you know, no, I think it feels much better than this. So they're obviously running away from something. We don't know what. And I mean, I, if they're forced prostitutes, I think that's, that's the impression. That, that's the, that's the impression. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they kind of, kind of cuts again. There's this weird light and she wakes up in this weird, like, ruined city place. It's like a giant junkyard. It looks like a big junkyard, which is the titular ghost land, as we learn later. And she was she shouts, I am not a prisoner, I think. 
Right. Kind of I'm like a free in, man. In de- I'm not a defiance. number. I'm a free man. Um, so then we finally start to get into an actual like narrative narrative that builds. We've got uh, Hero, our main character. He's in jail. Very typical like Western jail sort of thing too. You've got the dudes in like the dusters with the rifles yep. patrolling around. Yep. Um, and they come and let him out because the governor is coming to talk to him. But Nicholas Cage is in a, a diaper, yeah, by the way. Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like what a sumo wrestler wears, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I didn't know. I'm sure they have a name. Yeah, I'm sure they have I, a I, name, I don't know what the name is. I don't either. <laughs> and I'd be concerned if you did. Why? <laughs> I don't know. The whole I mean, sumo a, wrestling thing, it's so weird. Okay. I mean, I don't want to be like cultural. Oh, that's stupid. That's weird. I mean, wow. But it's weird. I mean, come on. Uh, join us next year when we have our new host. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, so but, Nick Cage is being hauled out. He's being hauled out. As you say, the governor wishes to see him. Yes, he was played by Bill Mosley. The Bill Mosley. And he pre- fucking owns this I film. was pretty excited because I didn't. I feel like I saw him in the trailer, mm. and then I forgot he was in it. I forgot he was in it, too. And then he yeah. showed up, and I was like, oh, shit, it's Bill Mosley. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I was I was surprised by how big of a role he had in the movie. He was oh, great. Yeah. He was fantastic. He owns He, owns he just the commands movie. the screen every second. He's he opens so his mouth. good. Yeah. Now, this scene I really liked because it's, it's so strange because everyone, they're like singing songs, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, they know exactly what to sing. Like, this is what you do when the governor shows yeah. up and stuff. It's clear that he's like imposed all of this on them. Yeah, and they he do this like you know, rhythmic cha- uh, clapping and stuff. Yeah, uh, very strange. It is, and of course, Bill Mosley is being Bill Mosley. There's yeah. quite a bit of Otis Firefly in his performance, mm-hmm. I think. And he's dressed like Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Get that out of the way. So yeah. there's there's a girl that's in the car that's like clutching a a robot. Mm-hmm. Has uh, she been? Susie. Has she been in Sonos Works before? Uh, I don't believe so off the top of my head it could very well be possible because that is a thing he has like frequent collaborators that he will always use in his films when you know the schedules line up and stuff like she that. she looked super familiar but i i couldn't place her i wasn't sure yeah it's uh Susie and she's played by yuzuka nakaya she has a very unique look so mm. i was i feel like i've seen her in something that mm. you've made me watch could be. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Susie, she, she clearly seems to have something wrong with her. She's a little, like, out of sorts. I mean, no more than everyone else yeah. in the film. <laughs> I don't really think... I mean, that's like, yeah, pot, meat, kettle. <laughs> um, and the governor kind of just lays it all out to him and says, you know, uh, you're this infamous bank robber. They say you've killed all these people, including a small child. Um... My granddaughter Bernice has run away. I want her returned, and everyone says that you're the person to do it. They go full Escape from New York mm-hmm. on him. Basically, yeah, it's very much a whole snake Bliskin. Which that's another thing I wanted to bring up because when just the synopsis of this film came out, everyone was kind of just like, "Oh, so Sono's doing like his version of Escape from New York." Yeah, which I wonder if they had shot it in America, if it would have more of that vibe. Maybe, possibly. I, yeah, I don't know. I just. I don't know if changing the locale would change the whole dynamic of the film Mm -hmm. because it's still like a crazy fucked up dreamscape. (laughs) So, you know, like, whereas Escape from New York was very grounded Mm -hmm. and everything was very gritty. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is a gritty movie. I'm not sure that (laughs) even the script (laughs) for this movie would even come close to doing that. But it is a thing I think it's important to note is that like a lot of the key central characters are almost like mythic entities in a way like you know cage doesn't have a name he's just hero he is the hero of the story 
the governor is sort of this evil force that's like dominating and controlling the area. He is the governor. Sure. He doesn't have any kind of like name or like deeper personality to him besides just this imposing presence that he puts out. Mm -hmm. It's all essentially the Odyssey, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but how many stories are the Odyssey? Like everything is the Odyssey eventually. So uh, next time for Odyssey exposure, where (laughs) where we break down all films that are based around the Odyssey. Uh, So they bring out this special suit. Put uh, the hero in. Yep. Nice black leather, which the governor notes that he loves, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and it's got little bombs attached to them. Yes, there's bombs on his neck, bombs on his arms, and bombs by his balls. How does. I love the way the governor says it, too. He says something like, the testicles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> on your testicles. Um, but basically, these are all to sort of ensure that he completes his mission. The ones on his neck are for he has so much time to bring her back. Right. Three days, I think. And if he doesn't complete it, boom, he dies. Yeah. Uh, the arms are if he's going to strike or hurt her at all. Yeah. If he, if, he, if he has the intention to hurt an unarmed woman, I think is what he said. Mm-hmm. It would, yeah. It gives a warning, and if he doesn't heed it, it blows up. And then, obviously, the ones around the gonads are if he attempts to, how shall we say become sexually involved. Mm. Yeah. Which the governor says, I'll have her return to me unsoiled. Right. Yeah. And so (laughs) before we kind of leave out of this scene, I had a weird thought and I think it's maybe just the insanity of me watching it so many times. times, Yeah. (laughs) Um, You'll notice all of the sort of women that seem to be under him, like that work at the brothels and stuff. They all have this like white face paint that just goes like around their chin and wraps around. Yeah. And at first I kind of wondered like, is that just a thing for this area? But you'll see other women in Samurai Town, and they don't have it. It's only the people that are like directly connected to the governor. And the more I thought about it, it kind of matches his beard that he has going on. Mm. So I almost wondered if that was like a thing, like he makes them get that as like a sign that he owns them. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. Little food they thought. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Pay, I, mean, I thought I, it was maybe just a weird makeup choice. Mm. You know, I saw it, but I was—I mean, I didn't understand most of the movie anyway, so I didn't really. <laughs> It's fine. Um, also, in this scene, one of the songs they sing, they actually do a rendition of My Grandfather's Clock by Johnny Cash. Oh, okay. That's the whole one, you know, but it stopped short, never did go again when the old man died. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Um, and it starts this theme that continually happens with the governor that I really want to dig into later, which is they keep associating him with time in different ways. Okay. So for now, file that in the back of your head. Why do you keep so, looking at me like you think I understand this? Because I'm going to blow your mind when we get to the you end of this. You keep looking at yeah. me like, like, yeah, Michael, you got that part right. Uh, and I'm like, no. Get that, Michael. File it away for later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they tell him to set out, go bring back Bernice by any means possible. Mm-hmm. When he does, they will give him the key to unlock the bombs and disarm them, and he can leave a free man. Yep. Absolved of his crimes. And this led to one of the... Well, look, there's a couple of really funny moments, and this was one of them. Because he gets in his car, and he takes off. There's like this do- donut thing, because of all this <laughs> dust. Stops the car, runs out of the car, and grabs his bicycle that's got a basket on the front. It's like a child's bicycle, and starts riding off on it. There's a really weird thing, too, because there's something about Nicolas Cage and bicycles. Because in the horrible Wicker Man remake... He steals a child's bicycle mm. and is riding furiously on it. I wondered if that was like a reference, maybe. <laughs> um, in Pig, he rides a bicycle yeah. with a basket on the front. And like, I watched. Is there a pig in the basket, like wrapped in a blanket? No, he's looking for the pig. Somebody stole oh, the pig. Man. Well, maybe it's after he got the pig. <laughs> no. And then they start flying off, and you see them silhouetted by the I mean, moon. I'm not going to spoil the movie. 
EP, but it's extraterrestrial pig, but it's a downer. Okay, well, uh, I figured it would be. Yeah, um, there is one other character too we should talk about here, which is Yasujiro. Yasujiro, played by Tak Sakaguchi. I'm just gonna say it. Yasujiro should have been the hero of this movie. That's how I knew him. Yeah, it's Tak Sakaguchi. Uh, man. I kept looking yeah. at him like, God, I fucking know that guy. Amazing actor, and I'm pretty sure he's one of the people that signed on after they like swapped it to Japan. So that's, cool. Well, that's, that's a good an interesting kid. addition. That's a good. Uh, Tak Sakaguchi is fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, he's the governor's right hand man, his strongest uh, fighter. They remark that he's never found a foe that's like worthy of facing him. He very much has the sort of like drifter samurai vibe. Like Yojimbo is a film you should probably talk about. I in felt relation Yo- to his character. I felt Yojimbo a lot in Samurai Town, actually. Oh, it's all um, very Sergio Leone. And there's another film too I wanted to talk about. I'll get, I'll get to it later, though. It's it's plot relevant, so we'll come back to it. But there's a little more with Yasujiro that I thought of. Huh. Quit looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's riding off on the bike. Uh, it was could, Yasujiro, right? Who yeah, gets in the he car brings and in the comes car. after him, and he stops the car right next to him, and Cage is like, oh, I guess, I guess you know, time's a factor or something like that. <laughs> you want me to hurry, huh? But it's, it's cool because you clearly see it's like an act of defiance of yeah, him, like yeah, rejecting he, the government. He's being spirit. an asshole, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is a total Snake Plissken kind of move. Mm-hmm. So he drives out, and this is where you get some of the view of like the scenery, and it's clearly just sort of this like ruined wasteland kind of place. Which we find out why. Later. Yes. I did catch that part. Okay, awesome. good. Right. The part where they blatantly give the backstory? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Explain it to you. Yes, sir, they did, and I got it. Um, and he's given some rumors about the area where they you know, say it's called the Ghost Land, and they say there are these like entities that roam out there that kind of kidnap people and abduct them. And some people say they're ghosts. I think the governor like rejects that. What he says, they're just a bunch of godless sodomites or something like that. Yeah. Um, so Cage drives out there, and sure enough, he encounters them. And it's this weird band of like people in sort of samurai armor with like the big masks on. Um, and there's like a bus in the mm-hmm. background, and that's where we see this ominous figure with like a burned face. Yes, it seems to be their leader. And the next thing, no, you know, he wakes up and he's crashed kind of in this wasteland area. I think the dude that um so appears to be their leader the whole time um that like they show him everything is kind of points to the what we have here <laughs> is a failure to communicate guy, you know. Cold hand Luke. Yeah. The sheriff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of I guess it's the Ray-Bans, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. I don't know what else. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wow, that's random. Okay, yeah. all right. I love a lot of the weird visuals in the ghost land itself where there's just stuff that doesn't make any sense. Like the area where he wakes up, there's a bunch of school desks, and each desk has a book on it that's opened, but they're just there. And the pages kind of blew in the wind, but... Yeah, sounds like the school system I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> no one reads them. <laughs> um, but when he finally wakes up, people have found him, and he's being sort of drug into this little village that's out there. Yeah. Wheeling on the cart. Wheeling on the cart. There's another woman there. It's one of the girls that ran away with Bernice. Yes. Um, you learn from her that her and one of the other girls were trying to like flee and run back. And she doesn't know where the other girl is, but she didn't make it. She didn't get past these these entities that are out there. Michael, you look confused. I, yeah, I mean, I know. I know where we're at in the movie, but okay. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I'm so lost. Uh, so we meet a lot of... <laughs> Crazy characters as he's he brought, brought in. Brought into this place. <laughs> I seem to do that with Sono films. Break people. I must break you. I got the I got the raunchy teen sex comedy. That one wasn't mm. over my head. <laughs> that one's pretty straightforward. That one I got. <laughs> this one this one broke me a little bit. 
Um, so notable people we meet, uh, we meet Ratman, who's played by uh, young Dias. Yeah, I was getting big uh, Mako vibes from this guy, yeah. from Conan the Barbarian. Um, I got that. I did like his costume. He's a great actor. He's been in other Sono films as well. Um, and he has this thing, this is called the Rat Clan, which is kind of the people that follow him. And they're clearly these sort of like junkers that like to tinker with mechanics and technology, which a lot of the other Ghostlanders sort of shun and kind of like shy away from. Yeah. yeah, they're basically the junkie islands from Transformers the movie. Yeah. And this is the like pure Mad Max yeah. like influence mm-hmm. in oh, this yeah. one. It's they, very Thunderdome-y. Yeah. yeah. Wasteland warrior thing going on. No Tina Turner. Sadly. <laughs> and I love it too because they have the big, like, they're called uh, Decatora in Japan, which is decorated trucks, where it's the big semis and they super lavishly, you know, trick them out with like neon and paint cool. and everything. Of course that's a thing in Japan. Mm. Of course. Japan is... Well, it's a thing here, but I mean, they take it like everything else. It's usually just Trump flags on it here, though. (laughs) Uh, But so he's brought in, and he's kind of given some info about this place. They say, you know, the people that come here, they're brought by those entities, um, and they're trapped there, and they can't leave, and time is kind of frozen. They don't want time to advance because they're afraid of, like, this explosion. Yeah, and there's this huge clock, and they're literally... They've got a big rope tied Mm -hmm. around the the minute hand and they're all just like holding it and tugging it mm-hmm. to keep it from progressing and kind of ominously in the background behind it there's a big smokestack of like a nuclear power plant sure yeah um he meets a few different people he meets enoch which is kind of the leader of the ghost land that kind of looks after everyone played by charles glover yes good job in the role he kind of he has this little like study that somehow survived everything that's happened and he sort of like reads stories to people and kind of just runs things there. Um, we meet this weird, like he looks like a Wild West, like uh, gravekeeper or something. I don't remember his name because I don't focus on him too much. Oh yeah, me either. Um, but you learn that when people are brought there, they kind of lose something that's important to them. Um, when he finds Bernice for the first time, she's lost her voice and isn't able to talk. And they talk about like how the children, they lose like their hope in the future different stuff like that. And for those who can't handle that and kind of go crazy from it, this mortician guy tries to help them by like encasing them in like mannequin parts. Yes. Which makes some crazy visuals when you see the people that are like fully encased. Right. Kind of just like watching from the background. Those are cool visuals. I got very kind of an eighties MTV vibe from a lot of this stuff. (laughs) Like some music videos. Yeah. 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 Uh, Eventually he does find Bernice inside Mm -hmm. one of these mannequin suits. But unfortunately, because she's lost her voice, the one thing that he's supposed to do. Yeah, because right. the governor gave him this thing on his wrist, and Bernice is supposed to speak her name into it. And so that would give then, him like two more days. Yeah, he gets, he gets three days, and if she can confirm her voice, he gets two more. Yeah. And, you know, she's he's lost like, Say voice, your name! So. Say your name! Yeah. <laughs> and she can't. But which leads to um, him um, trying to hit her. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, you hear this alarm. Beep, 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 yeah. And he calms down. Well, I love it because it makes me think of playing D&D because he gets there and they're like, oh, there's no way to leave. And then he's like, where's the girl? And they're like, oh, she's over there, I guess. And he's just like, all right, I got her. We're leaving. We're going to go. Get out. <laughs> it's this typical, like, you know, you run a game and people are just like, oh, fuck this. I'm going to immediately do the thing and go. Right. As they always and do. And then the DM has to contrive a reason to keep everyone there longer. <laughs> that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. That's that's a good comparison. Um, Yeah. So he tries to leave with their... He gets out there. He starts taking all the mannequin parts off. It's not meant to be funny, but it's kind of funny to me where he just keeps going like, take it off, take it off. No, it's funny. And he's like ripping the mannequin pieces yeah, off. I don't know if it's meant to be, but it's, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but that does lead to eventually him having a uh, sexual thought. Right, because he, he tries to give her some water to hope that'll help with her voice. <laughs> yeah. And it spills out of her mouth. And he kind of like, oh. <laughs> he got very quickly aroused yeah. by just water <laughs> spilling out of her mouth. But it blew off his left testicle. Yep. That was the other part I laughed out loud at. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I actually exploded. <laughs> and there's blood everywhere. And he actually like pulling out a destroyed testicle. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because as it starts beeping, it's like he backs off and tries to stop it. But it just keeps ramping up yeah. and won't stop. Yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> uh, but he passes out from that, unsurprisingly. Which logically would probably happen. I'd probably pass out if I blew a nut off. Dude, you accidentally like tap your balls and you're like, oh, and you're curled up on the floor for like half an hour. Um, but it's in, while he's unconscious, that's where we finally get the full bank scene and we see what happened. All right. Which is that during this, Psycho kind of loses his cool and just starts shooting people. Yep. And when Cage... Like kill crazy rampage. Yeah, at first he's targeting the little kid and Kate, and Hero is like, you know, what are you doing? Are you going to shoot a kid? And then someone else tries to fire, becomes a big shootout, and Psycho just kind of offs everybody. He goes full Mr. Blonde. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Including the kid. It's all Vic Vega, completely. Um, <laughs> and Hero has a neat line here where he actually asks him, did you take your medicine? Which I thought right. was an interesting little inclusion. Yeah, which obviously he did not. Yeah. Or well, maybe, maybe he did. <laughs> that's bad medicine. <laughs> so they struggle for a bit. Shut up, God, shut up. <laughs> Um, they kind of flee out into the streets and they're running and the cops surround them. They got them at gunpoint. Cage is like ready to give up at this point. Yeah. Um, and Psycho goes full tilt and just starts shooting the cops. Starts shooting the cops, yep. So Hero runs for his life, sets off, and in the crossfire of his escape, a woman gets gunned down and and her little girl gets shot in the leg. Yes. Which we realize eventually is Bernice when she was a little kid. Yeah, because he, he already, at this point, he already saw the scar on her leg, right? Yeah. And he mentioned that. He's like, oh, that's a wicked scar. Yeah. This is how deep we're in this movie. <laughs> that's the second <laughs> one, right? Cracking yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. Well, hold on, Michael. You got that that was Bernice. Yeah, I got one. it. Okay. I got it. They set that one up pretty heavily. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> um, and we see in the wake of that, like, she's, you know, obviously been orphaned. It seems the father's not in the picture, and the governor shows up and yeah. decides to take her. Under his wing. I think people are, if anybody listens to this podcast, which apparently some people do, they're going to be like, this guy just doesn't fucking understand Japanese movies because that one weird art Japanese movie we did. Inflatable sex to all the way. Yeah. I still didn't fucking know what happened there. We did an anime, didn't fucking know what happened there. And then this one is like very Japanese influenced. I don't have a fucking clue what's happening on that one either. So people are like, he just doesn't understand Japanese films. Yeah, well, you know, maybe they've got a point. I've seen like five that I do. Five. <laughs> um, so Hiro wakes up and he has this realization that like, oh, this this is Bernice. She was a little girl. I kind of caused her situation. Yes. Which he mentions to her kind of remorsefully. Uh, and then they get jumped by these ghosts again. Yes. And they're kind of attacking them, and he's struggling, and they're swarming Bernice, where she's still kind of out of it. And I gotta say, he's moving pretty good for a dude who just got a nut blown up. <laughs> he's in full action mode, I guess. The I adrenaline's some, pumping. I have some things to say about full action mode Nick Cage when we get to that. <laughs> okay. I've got some pretty big issues here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, so in the stream of that, he's trying to get them off of her, and he's flailing his arms, which sets off one of the bombs on his arms. Uh, yes. Uh, blows up on one of his arms. That was also funny. Uh, he managed to shove her away at the last second, so she's safe, and it kind of takes out the ghosts, or makes them stop at least, and he's out cold again. <laughs> right. 
Uh, then we get like, it's almost like a, is it a dream sequence? Is it not? I don't know. They're back kind of with all the ghost landers. This is where we get the big plot drop where it's the one lady and she kind of tells the story of the ghost land and what happened. Yes. Yeah. The part that I understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the bus of the criminals uh-huh. and the toxic waste. Mm-hmm. There's an accident. It covers, covers them. They start to burn and melt and it seeps into the land and poisons everything. Right. Yeah. I got that. And they have little like artistic images that they're showing. It's very clearly like the nuclear explosion cloud. I think that's why I got it because they drew me pictures. Yeah, I mean it's it's not exactly subtle. <laughs> yeah, they drew me cartoon pictures, um, comic book pictures. And, and Hero like, ah, yes. even asks like, "Well, why didn't anyone help this situation?" Mm-hmm. And they say, "Well, like yo, the people that lived in the towers of the atomic city, they couldn't own up to what had happened. They had to deny it and pretend it didn't exist." So, a little criticism there. Yeah, a little bit. Not unwarranted. Nope. Um, eventually he wakes up again, and he's a little unhinged when he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage unhinged? No. No, um, not a thing. But Bernice has got her voice back. Yeah. She finally manages to trigger the uh, little wrist device and right. get the extra time. Which I love that wrist device, too, because it's like it just clicks on at certain times of the day. Yeah, and you hear the governor on there. And he's like, Bernice, speak your name into the microphone. <laughs> Just your say your name. microphone. <laughs> Just say your name, Bernice. Uh, this movie should have had more Bills. Like, it had a lot of Bill Mosley, mm-hmm. but it should have had more Bill Mosley. Well, that's every movie with Bill Mosley in it. That's true. It's every movie in general. You Everything would be better with Bill Mosley. Jurassic a. Park, Bill Mosley. Oh, damn right. You can tell he had fun making this Oh, film. he always brings it. He never half-asses um, it. And, you know, speaking of him, it's during this part, two where we kind of cut back to Samurai Town a little bit and get a little more about them. We see him just <laughs> kind of lording over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's complaining that the hero's not back yet, uh, wondering if Bernice is going to come. He gets he gets all the money and starts slinging it around at the... Uh, yeah, he says, bring me America. Yeah. And someone brings, like, what, a suit, bag full of money? Bag full of money, yeah. Yeah, and he starts throwing it all over the girls and stuff. Oh, yeah, and he says, make it rain. Yeah, make it rain, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we get a little bit about Yasujiro too because we learned that his sister works for the governor. She's one of the women in the brothel. And the whole reason he works for him is there's this promise that eventually she'll be let free. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pretty cool fight where some drunk people kind of like try to egg him on. He just offs them. Of course he does. Because <laughs> he's tax Sakaguchi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which has one of my best kills in the film that I really loved, where uh, he knocks the guy into the paper lantern. Yeah. And then he slits his throat, and the blood just, like, fills it up. Yeah, spilling inside the lantern. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I liked that a lot. There were some, there were some really good effects mm-hmm. that looked really planned out. Like, you could tell that they were, like, there was vision for them. Mm-hmm. And then there were others that were, like... Well, I mean, any samurai movie where you have, like, ten guys coming at one... <laughs> You're going to have that awkward kind of stunt choreography. No, but like... What do you mean like the actual effects? The effects, like the kills and stuff. Like there's some that seem very planned and like placement of the camera is perfect so Mm -hmm. that you get the artistic look. And then Mm -hmm. there's others where camera placement... But I guess it fits because it looks cartoony, you know, like when it's very obviously like a pipe shooting blood. Right. And the angle that it's put at lets you basically see that it's a pipe shooting blood. Mm-hmm. But it also, I mean... No, I can see that criticism. As frustrating as it is, it fits. Mm-hmm. Because it, nothing is how it should be in this <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah, it's, it's that hyper-stylized violence. Yeah, I think it's true of a lot of his films is he kind of goes like steps beyond where it reaches past reality 
to me, it's almost like a hyper reality in a way, but I see a lot of people do compare it to like feeling like an anime sure. when I've screened stuff for people. Yeah. Um, also in this segment with the governor, uh, there's more remarks about him. Like they, they compare him to time. One of the girls says you are time. And when he's wondering about like when Bernice is going to come back, he kind of torments Susie again. Cause he shouts for her and he's like, Oh, come sit on grandpa's lap. And she's like, no way. <laughs> um, and then he's like, is Bernice going to come back? And she's like, yeah, I know she will. And he kind of like a, just shouts at her. And he, that's the line I, I referenced earlier. The TikTok time waits for no one. He like keeps shouting at her to like repeat it and say it along with him. That she was gonna be his clock now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. He says, uh, okay. "You'll be my clock now." That's when it gets in the okay. full like Otis Firefly mode too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like right in her face, you know, say it, tick tock. <laughs> Great stuff. So, heroes reawakened. He's had these visions. He goes back into the ghost land to get with everyone, and he's like, "Hey, this is over. We're gonna get out of here. Yeah, we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna go Samurai Town." Um, and he says that while he was asleep, he had these visions. Uh, he says that he often dreams of the people that he's killed and that it's haunted him. But this time they spoke to him and told him he had this purpose, this thing he had to do and kind of like explained, you know, what needed to happen. Which when he first showed up there, a few of the Ghostlanders talk about a prophecy. That's where he even gets pick, picks up the name hero as they say like, oh, you know, one day this person's going to show up with thick red blood and they're going to lead us out of here somehow. So some people are for it, some are against it, and he kind of links up with Ratman since they're all into the technology, and he wants to sort of fire up every vehicle that's there, and they're going to storm out of the place. Those sweet trucks. So we get the we get the typical like action film montage preparation thing. Cars together and stuff. This is where one of my issues comes in. Let's hear it. Yeah, because I knew it was going to happen when he puts on the football helmet. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck, he's going to wear that thing." <laughs> well, and they ended up doing it because as we when we come back to Samurai Town, there comes a big fight scene. Mm. It's like probably the biggest action oh, yeah. scene of the whole film. But I guess I'm just trained now to notice that like when a character puts on a headpiece or a mask, it's just a directorial plot so that you can sub in a stuntman to do oh. the work. Well, that helps too. <laughs> But it, it's almost it happens in almost every film. Like when somebody puts on a mask, you're like, "Oh, that's a stunt mm-hmm. person doing that work." It's cheaper, it's easier. I get it. But whoever did stunt doubling for Nick Cage did not mimic his motions at all. Like Nick Cage was so stiff in this movie, mm-hmm. and whoever was his stunt double was like doing cartwheels and fucking shit. <laughs> and I'm like, "Come on, guys! Like at least." somebody mimic his movements so it doesn't feel like I'm watching someone completely different. But it's also, it, it, I mean, because Nick Cage is not, he's not the dude's the, pushing 60. Yeah, he's not the spryest. He's uh... not, he's not, <laughs> and that's one of my criticisms too, because he's not intimidating in the least. Right. I don't think. I don't buy him as an action hero type person. Maybe that's part of the point. I don't, I know. don't know. I don't know if he's supposed to be. I think he's sort of like an unlikely that, that hero. That could be the point. That could be the point. But then there's films that take characters like that and do choreography that fits that character. Sure. So like Ash mm-hmm. from Evil Dead Army of Darkness. Like all of his choreography fits the character. They never go outside of what the character could do. And that's one of the things that really kind of irked me pretty bad about that fight scene. Is that the fights didn't fit the character. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's Sono's fault. That's his action choreographer's fault. Mm-hmm. Whoever did that. 
they came up with something to make it look good and you know be exciting mm-hmm. but to me action and i think we've talked we talked about this in our very first episode action right. needs to tell a story right yeah. the story needs to go with the action and i didn't feel like it did at all which that's a thing for you you really hone in on i think with most stuff you watch and i tend to get i tend to get taken out of stuff really mm-hmm. easily from that and it, it frustrates me that i do cuz i don't want mm-hmm. to you know i want to just like accept it for what it is right but as stylistic as the whole film was up to that point, that just kind of felt like a huge oversight, you know? Mm. And I'm not sure if it was just but, because something was bugging me too. And I think that, I think you're onto something there. I think, I don't think I realized it at the time. I think you're right. I think that it's just because I wanted, I think you still could have pulled off a really cool fight scene. Mm-hmm. Even if you did choreography to match cages movements, because you already saw cage be kind of visceral, right? Like as a character, so you didn't necessarily need to see him do like sweeping kicks and like right. rolling around on the ground and stuff like that. You could just see him be brute force. Because when he first gets in the ghost land, they're all kind of touching him and stuff. He flips out and he's like, don't touch me. And he starts doing like, hi fucking y'all. Yeah. And like raising his arms and stuff. And you can see it's very like determined movements kind of. Yeah. And they didn't do that in the choreography. And that really took me out of it. It just felt like I wasn't watching the same movie at that point. <laughs> it also reminded me of uh, uh, Wild at Heart. When he's like doing karate yeah. in the desert and shit. <laughs> <laughs> but what saved that though is Tak Sakaguchi mm-hmm. being fucking awesome. Oh, he's so good. So just before we get into the finale, he rallies everyone. They're gonna leave, and the first thing they have to do is deal with these ghosts that you know kind of run the place. And their leader, the guy that's been driving the bus the whole time, comes out to approach him, mm-hmm. and we learn that it is his old partner, Psycho. Mm-hmm. And what you think is going to be kind of this fight actually kind of just becomes a conversation as, you know, he says, okay, we got to go. We got to go do this thing. Uh, they, they kind of reminisce about like, oh, we had these good times, you know. Killing all those people. Yep. Good times. And he straight up tells them like, but you took it too far. You killed a kid. Um, blah, blah, blah. I had it in my notes. Let me find it. Um, but eventually Psycho relents and he says, well, I'm going to let you and Bernice go. And he basically straight up tells him, like, you know, the governor's the one that's behind everything. He kind of controls everything, almost implying that he sort of, like, masterminds this Ghostland situation in a way. Because Psycho actually tells him it's time for all of us to be freed. So it almost seems to say that even their situation as these, like, jailers of the Ghostland is also something that the governor orchestrates. Okay. Now Jason looks confused. I, just, I don't know. I just, I just... Let's continue. Okay. I'll come back to that. Uh, yeah, so the, the two of them, they go back for their showdown. Um, there's a scene I like in the whole montage preparing thing. It's when he puts on like the metal brace for his arm, and it's him kind of in like, there's like dust kicking around, and it's like a sunset looking time, and he's just like screwing everything in. Mm-hmm. It's a very Ash moment. Yeah. Uh, but I love the visuals of that scene. Yeah. If only he made himself a pneumatic hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, that... And... There's part of the thing that irks me is that it was set up to to remind you, okay, he's got a fucked up arm, mm-hmm. so we can't have him use that arm normally in an action sequence, so we're going to use story to tell his movements as to why he's going to move like this and use his arm like this, but then everything else doesn't match it. Um, and I do think early in the, when this big fight goes down at the end, at first you do kind of see where he just kind of heaves the whole arm and yeah. like slaps it into people. But then it's when it ramps up to like the next level is what you're talking about. Yeah, I bought it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I really did because I was like, "That's kind of funny," 
He's just he's brute forcing, just like yeah, slapping this yeah, arm yeah, thing, yeah. and it works because it's silly and it's Nick Cage, so it works. But it's like ah, uh, then it did the thing. So they come back to Samurai Town. Everyone's there waiting. It's the big like final showdown face off thing, and he's like, you know, here's Bernice back. Give me the key. Unlock my suit. Let me go. And the governor gets kind of weird, weird about it. You know, he's not just immediately given given the key over like he thought. So uh, what is he tells him like I'm not going to give you anything, not even piss or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something that effect. Uh, so Hero takes Bernice hostage, threatens to kill her if he doesn't get the key. It becomes this huge standoff. Everyone's got their guns leveled and raised, and Susie <laughs> takes action, grabbing the nearby minigun that's just conveniently <laughs> laid out. Mm-hmm. And they kind of tease this early in the film because she has that robot toy and she kind of like holds it out at people and is like da 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 da. Yeah, it's shooting the toy gun thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she grabs the minigun and just starts dusting the yeah, governor's yeah, it's... men. I mean, you treat her like shit the whole movie. What do you mm. expect's going to happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Wild Bunch, man. <laughs> she just goes a Wild Bunch on their yeah. asses. Which is, it's very heavily implied that, like, even these girls that he keeps, like, right under him and that he treats as, like, you know, granddaughters, he's clearly abusing them as well, so. Clearly. It's kind of a, an Immortan Joe-type mm. vibe, too. You know, yeah. like, he has the, his wives. The slaves rebelling against him, yeah. <laughs> So uh, this kicks off this big finale. Everyone starts fighting. Susie gets shot, and Bernice kind of takes her to safety to get her out of the way. Um, you know, heroes fighting off the governor's men. The governor runs for safety. Uh, Yasujiro gets in the mix, and it seems like he's going to, you know, gun after the hero. But he finds Bernice being chased, and he turns, and he starts slaying the governor's men. There is a scene that that actually did make me laugh out loud pretty heavily, though, when I, I guess it's... Um... He kicks him in the balls. Yeah. And it like, they freeze for a second. Then he's, ow! Yeah, it's like, fuck! They both, they both yeah. kind of take a minute because they both just got hit. And it's like, the, it's the only time you ever see Yasujiro not have just like this stone cold stoic yeah. expression on his that face. That scene was really funny. Just yeah. because I was wondering what they were going to do. Because when they kick him in the balls, or ball, you know, you're like, okay, well, how are they going to sell this? Are they going to be like, I already lost that or whatever. Yeah. But just the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a really good sell. That was pretty um, good. And I think on this too, so in the course of this fighting, when Yasujiro and Hiro meet, they do end up fighting each other still. And I've seen online where some people have gotten hung up on that. Like, why are they fighting when they're clearly, you know, both opposing the governor? And I think that's where you get into those samurai epics. It's a, it's an idea that's very much in those that I think might not track into other films. Maybe some Westerns, especially spaghetti Westerns Hero's might have this. still a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Or John Woo movies, for that matter. And we know that Yasujiro's never had a worthy opponent, and he clearly sees in Hero, this is finally the person that can like match me at yeah. my level. Nick Cage is text yeah. like a Gucci's equal. But he mm-hmm. also has his own code. Mm-hmm. Like He very much has his yeah. own samurai code, and while it's skewed, it's still a code. And this and- is the where I wanted to bring up that film I mentioned earlier. So uh, it's one of the Zatoichi films. Great Japanese series about a blind swordsman that kind of drifts around. And in 1970, they made Zatoichi meets Yojimbo, entirely to cash in on the Yojimbo film. They even got the same actor, but he's playing like a, I guess it's technically a different character, but it's meant to seem just like the Yojimbo character. That's right. And the whole plot is that basically Ichi and this Yojimbo both end up in the same city. There's, you know, rival gangs going on. They both get mixed up in it, and they're on opposing sides. And in the end, they kind of help each other, like, save the village and at the very end, it seems all resolved, and Ichi's kind of leaving the village and going on, because that's every every Zatoichi film is that, pretty much. And Yojimbo shows up, intending to have this duel. 
because it's like to him that duel is always going to happen mm. because they're both these warriors that need to clash and it doesn't really matter like who's on what side the fight was always going to happen okay sure makes sense cool <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't in the context of this movie I don't buy that but well, also yeah. think, also think Yasujiro has a lot of guilt about the situation he's in. Because sure. even even so his, you think he's just lashing out at whoever. Even or? his sister in the one scene kind of tells him, like, you know, he's not going to let me free. You should just go mm-hmm. and save yourself. So I think, in a way, maybe he wanted to die. Maybe, uh, but that's one of the. Okay, let's finish up. That's yeah. one of my problems with the movie as a whole. I, I feel like the characters aren't really rich enough to warrant that sort of reading. But anyway. So in the mix of this chaos, uh, what is it? the governor finds Susie. He's trying to like take her and go. Come to Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. c- c- come to Grandpa now. <laughs> and there's a great scene before this, too, where he goes to get his money, and the girls are all just running off with it. Yeah. And they're like done with him now that this chaos has happened. Right. Uh, so everything's falling apart for him. Bernice tracks him down, has a gun, uh, and we get this final confrontation where he kind of just demeans her once more, one final time, and she just guns him down. Yep. Uh, there's a goof in this scene. I think she shoots like seven times. Oh, she's got I a was, revolver. I was counting them, yeah. and there was more than six, yeah. but I didn't care. <laughs> there are some seven shooters. Yeah, so. like, a lot of twenty twos have like seven shots. It definitely wasn't a twenty two. It, it looked like not. a six shooter. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a futuristic weapon, right? Could be. Sure. Yep. So. <laughs> Uh, Yasujiro else makes sense. If that's your biggest problem from this movie, do whatever the fuck you want to do. I don't care. Yeah. So Yasujiro dies. The governor dies. His control on everything kind of slips and breaks away. Uh, one of the little kids from the ghost land had followed them to kind of report back. That little kid rushes back and is like, "Oh, the governor is slain. The governor is slain. The hero won." That's right. And they they mention you know time can finally move again. They finally let go of the rope. The clock starts to tick again. And when it ticks up to like the next time, it kind of just all crumbles and falls apart and collapses. It blows up. Yeah, it explodes. Blowed up. Super cool. And then we get this final shot where they're in Samurai Town. Things are kind of bustling again and they're just hanging out. And we kind of just get this like little hopeful coda that's like, oh, things are going to be all right. Maybe, maybe now. So the only thing that got me through this movie... <laughs> oh, God. How did you feel, Michael? No, 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 I said that wrong. I said that wrong. The only thing that helped me understand this movie was I treated it as purgatory. Mm -hmm. And I I actually thought, like, at the end of this, I was like, this would make an interesting double bill with um, Sorcerer. Ooh, yeah. Because that's how I... It's almost how I viewed the the way the cuts were at the beginning, that basically we get the standoff or whatever, and Mm -hmm. then I view it as, like, he's... He got gunned down. Right. And, And so now he's developed this i mean his brain is obviously kind of fucked up Mm -hmm. he's nicholas cage so um (laughs) like i just kind of viewed it as he's built this scenario and it's and the way i pieced it together is if i almost made it meta that Mm -hmm. it's it exists within our world so he's piecing all of these things that he's seen throughout Mm -hmm. cinema so he's like pulling in all these things i don't know that's how I played it. I don't think the film really gives me any reason to warrant that, but that's how I squared it with the weirdness that I watched. Okay. And within the film itself, the ghost land is kind of a purgatory in yeah. itself. It's like this liminal state where they can't go anywhere and they're just stuck there kind of waiting. And it's like he needs to atone for what he's done kind of a thing. Like everything was so fucking weird and out there in it. Mm-hmm. 
that I had to square it somehow. <laughs> so here, here's my time thing, and then we can get into final thoughts, I guess, and okay. wrap up. So I think there's an overall theme of time about this film, like the idea of time. Because mm-hmm. um, one criticism I have seen on this film that I do think is pretty valid is it's not very deep. It's kind of just, you know, a straightforward action film. And if you know Sono's filmography, he usually makes really, really deep films. Not always, but a lot of his, if you like, the majority of the ones that are really popular, they are very, very heady, very complex themes. Right. You walk away and spend, you know, forever kind of chewing over them. Uh, and this is more of a straightforward action flick, which is fine. But I do think there's a little kernel of something here. And I don't know how much is that the script or stuff that he's put in or what. But so uh, they state that the governor controls time. They refer to him as time itself. And I think there's a thematic kind of uh, theme or tone in this film about that where you've got the ghost land and it's this void where everyone's frozen in that state, stuck there. And they've all got something taken from them or they've had some kind of tragedy. Uh, Hero is stuck in the moment of the bank situation. This kid got killed on his account. He's haunted by the deaths of those he's killed. He has regret and remorse for it. Bernice's life is totally dictated by the governor and she's been abused. She's kind of frozen in this situation. Yasujiro wants to free his sister and his only avenue is to work at the behest of the governor and he's stuck in that situation. And so there's this real theme of like people that have like problems or these traumatic things and they are like frozen. For them, time has stopped the same way that the big symbolic clock in the ghost land is hung there like that and they're not letting it advance and going forward and trying to move forward. And I think in a way that kind of says a thing about like how people can kind of fall in these loops of where you have a problem or some kind of thing you're dealing with or a traumatic event and it feels like time freezes over and you can't really move past it and you're kind of stuck up on those emotions or maybe even the fear of what going forward means. The same way that in the ghost land they fear letting the clock advance. Yeah. No, that works. I'm curious as to, there's some things that feel, and especially knowing that Sono didn't write this, Mm -hmm. there's some things that feel like they're hinted at that it makes me wonder what got cut. You know, like, what was the original script? Like, the fact that part of his, part of Hero's outfit is that he can't hurt a woman Mm -hmm. makes me think that there's something in his past that he's abused, you know, or whatever... That that part felt a little like there should have been something more behind it. Yeah, that's a question of like, is it his rap sheet or is that just the governor's mentality being projected? I don't know. Uh, there is a tie-in comic. I've brought it. It's out here on the table. It's very, very short. It doesn't really add anything to the story. You just get to see some of uh, Hero and Psycho running around before everything happens. And then it ends on that bank scene. Ah, so okay. Uh, nothing plot relevant, kind of fun. I guess it was just a little scene that was kind of dropped out of the script. Yeah. And they made it as a comic. Pretty cool, pretty fun. Uh, last question to pose before we wrap up. Yes. Is Nick Cage a good actor? Let's talk about this. Because I have a theory. He, he can be a good actor. He can be a good actor. Um, I think he needs the right director to ring him in. That's what I was going to say. And that, also that is the, my theory, actually. And the material, too. I think if he doesn't really care about the material or if he's not invested, he just does the wild, crazy Nick Cage stuff. I think there's a thing that people overlook because they put so much emphasis on the actor. Mm-hmm. is that, and, and if you listen to true actors talk, they chew a lot of, like, I, I think of Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Defoe, when he talks about film, is like, 
God, you could listen to him for hours because he's so passionate about film itself and mm-hmm. acting. And he talks about choosing projects because of the director. Because I want to work with this person. I want to see what they'll bring out of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that we get lost because like Hollywood doesn't like that. You know, right. Hollywood wants They want their movie stars being the exact same. They want the movie. rock to be the rock. Like Tom Cruise yeah. to be Tom Cruise. They're not gonna do anything different. Yeah. And so I think tr- the truly great performances throughout cinematic history come from a great director saying that's the hundredth take, but it's still not right. Oh yeah. You know, like they really see what they the vision that they have and they're gonna bring it out of that actor. Yeah. And I think that's to me, that's how Cage is. Like, I think he's incredible, and I think the thing is, is it, it's all based on who is at the helm on this. So, yeah. like, if they know how to utilize what he brings, and it's a role that's kind of meant for him to work in, I think it's amazing, and they can really draw out something awesome. Like Mandy is a great example. Mm-hmm. And then when you get someone that either like they don't know what they're doing, or they just got him because he's a big name, and it wasn't really a role that's very fitting for him, you kind of just get <laughs> you get like the Wicker Man remake or something, you know, where it's just. Right. It's a mess. Yeah. And I, I don't ever really think it's his fault so much as like the production that's around it. Well, I think some people know that when they bring Nick Cage in, they get the audience that's just going to watch it because it's Nick Cage and they're right. wanting to see it, the crazy. He's mm-hmm. been subsumed by that wild, crazy Nick Cage. It's the same thing that happened to Christopher Walken. Right. Because, I mean, he didn't used to be, oh, crazy Christopher Walken, weird, you know, syntax talking dude. Uh, I mean, he he was a serious, really good actor. I'm not saying he isn't still, but he got typecast into playing that same... He's Christopher Walken now. Yeah. You know, he's not playing a character. He will always be Christopher Walken in anything that he does. (laughs) Yeah, but if you go back to, like, Deer Hunter or The Dead Zone or any of that stuff, he's playing a character. Ice! Very very subtle in (laughs) some of those, like, The Dead Zone. Right, right. So I think Nick Cage is just a victim of that. So, formerly this film, the critical consensus is mixed. That's where it's landed. That's the impression I got from stuff I was looking at. Uh, When I checked this week, it looks like critics kind of rate it a little higher than audience scores. I really noticed since it hit Shudder, there's been a lot of where people have got to see it finally. And they just really did not like it. I noticed it had four skulls on Shudder. Which is hard to do (laughs) because... People like some serious (laughs) garbage on Shudder. I mean, I will pull up something that's like five stars. I think you have to take those score ratings with a grain of salt. And I'm like, (laughs) how stoned were you (laughs) when you watched But I mean, I've seen things where people are like, you know, I checked out when he hopped on that bike at the start. And I'm just like, ooh, wow. Yeah. So let's get into final thoughts and what we think about the film. All right. And I think maybe we should sandwich Michael... She should be the middle? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm usually in the middle. <laughs> so uh, I'll go first because it's the most obvious. Uh, as same as the review that I wrote, I gave this film five stars. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's exceptional. I love everything about it. Obviously, I've watched it, <laughs> what, ten times in like a few months? That's pretty insane. Pretty crazy. Um, that said, I understand all the criticisms against it, especially yours, Michael, which you elaborated very well. Uh, some of it, I think people just have never encountered a Sono film, and so they're put off by some of the weirdness and the bombastic stuff that's out there. Sure. So I would say if you do see this and you you don't like it so much, maybe hop over to Netflix and check out The Forest of Love or Tokyo Vampire Hotel on Amazon. I think a few of his are also on Shudder or Amazon Prime. So maybe sample another one or two of his before you slam that door shut. But yeah, uh, but yeah I love everything about it. I... That said, though, 
in the like pantheon of Sono films, I would never put this like top ten among stuff he's done. And I don't think like I would put it somewhere in the middle of the pack or even lower. How many five star movies has Sono made? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever rated one less than five stars. <laughs> but but I'm saying that in the scheme of that, if I run them against each other, I don't think this one is very high up in the pack. Okay. So I will I will give that so, to what what makes this a five star movie for you? I really loved everything about it. The tone, the vibe. I love that it's this mashup of like Western samurai and post apocalyptic film. Okay. Sometimes I know what you're going to love, and sometimes I'm surprised with what you love. So, so it's mm. just, but I like that about you. It's one of the things that, you know. And you were really surprised he loved you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised when anyone loves me. And we learned from our recent uh, <laughs> stat checking that my uh, film picks trend the worst among, <laughs> among our episodes, which well, is interesting. Yeah. Maybe a lot of our listeners are like me, and they're like, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I love it. Five stars. It's not the best thing he's ever done. He's done way, way better. Um, I can totally understand all the criticisms. I think so. you'd get a different star rating just for Sono. You, you probably have to go up to 10 or something for him. Hey, IMDb is for you, then. Okay, maybe, maybe I'll have to move him into the IMDb category yeah, just so I can get so that higher range. Get 10 stars. <laughs> okay. Uh, Why do so they now have 10 stars? No one oh, uses, sandwiching. So right. sandwich, no one uses 10 stars. Stars. I don't know. You still heard about IMDb that? Does because I tried to look something up again the other day, and it's like, how would you rate this movie? And I'm like, fuck off, it, IMDb. People say on a scale from one to ten. I get it. By the way, speaking of being butthurt, <laughs> I'm really mad at Letterboxd about this whole Chucky situation because oh, it's Jesus. not on there to rate because it's a quote unquote TV show, but Squid Game is on there, and that is also a quote unquote TV show. Come on, man. What the hell? What did you think, Michael, of oh. Prisoners of the Ghostland? So, going into it, I knew it was going to be bonkers. Mm. Um, I'm also aware... Like, I haven't seen your favorite Sono films, mm. but the Sono that you showed me was bonkers. So Which, I, by the way, Virgin Psychics is usually considered one of his worst by a lot of people. I, I love it, it, but... I had fun with it. Was it was fun, yeah. I thought it was goofy and fun. Mm. It's okay to have fun with a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting Crazy Cage, mm. which honestly, I didn't think that he was that crazy. He's more subdued. Yeah, he had some moments. Um, I was really taken out from the action scene that I've gone into, mm-hmm. you know, breakdown. breakdown of it, which I think is a little unfair to... But it is kind of the only big action scene. If it's an action things. movie... It's not unfair to Which, critique the action. I've seen that criticism, too, that it didn't have enough action. I don't necessarily think you had to have a lot more. I'm really torn on this because, like, I think I'm going to have to land on, like, a two. Damn. Because I don't have a desire to watch it again. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not upset that I watched it. I didn't. Sometimes I felt like, and I really struggled. I didn't want to do this podcast because I didn't want to say anything bad about. Well, no, no. Like, I, everyone has different opinions, different know, thoughts, but, different feelings. But when it's somebody's favorite director, I don't like to. I don't like to say bad things. But nothing you can say can be any worse than what some of my friends have told me. So this is, when I've subjected them to his films. Here's one of the things that I think bothered me the most is sometimes I felt like it was just weird for the sake of being weird. Mm. Like the weirdness of things that happened in the film didn't actually go with the plot. It was just like, somebody had an idea, wouldn't it be weird if we encased them in a mannequin? And they're Mm. like, it's in the movie. You know, like, (laughs) there were times where I didn't feel like the weirdness matched up with the narrative of the story. Mm. And how much of that is Sono? How much of that is the script? How much of that is 
the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. and especially with you prefacing this with saying that production kind of hit a major halt. Yep, and we'll never probably know what I guess unless they do extensive interviews. But they did say like a lot changed in what it was going to be, and then when they moved it to Japan and kind of re reconfigured everything. So who knows? Like budget could have changed. Like mm-hmm. so many things could have changed that just completely killed the vision. But you've still got this film lined up yeah. that you've got to do. You still have to judge what you're seeing. So mm-hmm. that kind of does skewer, skew how I view it in a mm-hmm. way. Because I'm not sure that what I saw was the original intention of everyone involved. I don't know that. But as it stands, I have to probably say I'm hanging on a two. All right. So, Jason, bring us home. Um, I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. Because uh, I've seen some Sean Fono, Sono, Fono. I've seen his movies too. <laughs> Fono. Some Sono movies, and I've enjoyed them. You know, um, I'm not in love with him like you are, mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone is. So you know, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, I think the biggest problem for me was I just never felt any investment mm-hmm. in the characters of the situation. Like it all felt kind of like you know I've seen this. I know where this is going. It didn't bring anything new to the table for me. Uh, I love Bill Mosley. That was awesome. That, that was the best part for me was the highlight. Anytime Bill Mosley was on the screen, I was invested. He kind of distills the show most yeah, of the time. He, in he any totally film. does. <laughs> it's like if you need an actor that can out-cage Cage, you call Bill Mosley. <laughs> uh, but, and again, I was like watching Tak Sakaguchi, and I'm like, the movie should be about him. This is far more interesting. All the stuff in the Ghostland area, I didn't give two shits about. The stuff going on in Samurai Town, I found much more interesting. Mm. If it was more about, and again, we're talking about what we would have preferred than what we actually got. But right. I kept thinking about how cool it would have been if it was just Tex Sakaguchi's story. You Trying know, to his save struggle his to save his sister and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, the action, some of those things were cool. A lot of it felt flat. Uh, it, it never came together for me. Um, oh, you know, it felt like Ghostland was like it's supposed to be this mysterious area, but it feels like it's a hundred feet away from Samurai Town, mm-hmm. and it's like, how come these people couldn't leave at any time? There's, I get no feeling that they couldn't have just. Well, they done didn't what... have cars, Jason. Well, the implication <laughs> is the ghost stopped them. Yeah, um, but, I'm but not, also I wonder how much of that is the budget too, because we kind of only have like two or three set pieces. Yeah, and the sets what exist are really cool. Mm-hmm. The production design's awesome. Because um, you can even tell uh, the bank robbery happens in another city. Because the governor mentioned it's like P twenty nine or something, and you can kind of tell they just used the same sets for oh, that other city. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just and the whole ghost thing that that's not enough. That wasn't enough of a plot element mm-hmm. for me to think that they couldn't just leave whenever they wanted. It it didn't hit home enough for me for any of those you know, themes to come together. Mm. So I'm, I would have to land on a two and a half. Damn tough crowd. <laughs> uh, parting shot. Cause I didn't forget to talk about this and I would hate to not mention it. The other kill I really loved uh, during that finale, Bernice gets a sword for a little bit and she fights off a few dudes. And there's this one kill where she like braces the sword on the dude's neck yeah. and then kind of just walks through and you get like the classic samurai film, like big blood spray, yeah, which fun. might be the one that you didn't like Michael. No, no, that's not the one I didn't okay. like. Because um, it has that very like over the top, just like gushing. That's classic. I it love was that shit. no, the one I didn't like was a Takasakaguchi kill. Mm, okay, and it was camera placement. Is what frustrated me about it. I, uh, it's cool. 
I feel like a snob sometimes. <laughs> like, no, that's that's what you do. Everyone watches movies differently for different reasons. Which is part of the reason we even started this is like we like to discuss it and chew over it and our thoughts and our feelings and hear what listeners think and what other people think and yeah. this and that. I think one of the things that gets me is action is not hard to do right. But it's also really easy to do wrong. <laughs> like, the biggest things. Show the fight. Mm-hmm. Show the fucking fight. Back off. Keep the camera out. Let me see the fight. Don't do quick cuts. This had a lot of cuts. Mm-hmm. You know? It was close quarters, so I get it. This feels like a rushed choreography to me. Like a mm-hmm. super rushed choreography. So, I can't. I can't fault it that much because you can get you get what you get. Right. Some of the coolest action sequences that we've seen in the last twenty years take six months of rehearsal. Yeah. Time and money are always you know, to get into yeah. that. So you can't really I don't know. Uh so this was our last episode of the year. Wow. Yeah. Our last official one. We're gonna have one little bonus episode is like a New Year's special. Uh I think we're just gonna do a look back at the year, talk about what we've covered. Maybe some of our favorite stuff we've watched during the year, this and that. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, we're gonna do that. Yep, we are <laughs> yeah, gonna do that. Gonna... <laughs> Don't worry, I've been masterminding that, so I have it all ready to go. Somebody text me when I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> um, so next year we're trying a new thing. We're gonna go more in depth on it on that bonus episode, but we're gonna try to have little themed blocks of episodes where we kind of set up a topic, and then we'll each bring a film that's on that topic and kind of explore different movies in that theme. I think we're going to branch out a little bit too, where it's not necessarily going to be something that maybe one of us hasn't seen before or something new, mm. but just more along the lines of the theme thing. Because it's getting sometimes with us, it's a little difficult to find something that like one of us has seen and the rest of us hasn't. Oh, I've yeah, got a, I got a list. I got several, um, several things. On so list. our first theme that we're going to be doing because it is Jalo January, Jalo January, which we love and want to celebrate, and we thought what a better way to kick off than to go back to one of our favorite genres. Talk about some jolly. So it's my pick too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to step away from the typical, the big names, the big names like the, the Argento, Fulci. I wanted to step away because there's a whole land of jolly films that are not those. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of them are great, um, <laughs> but we even kind of branched out a little bit with Fifth Chord right. earlier in the year. Um, that was, so, what'd you say, Jason? It was like, after you see all the greats, go see the fifth chord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I am going to branch into one that I've never seen before, but it's usually high up on uh, people's lists mm-hmm. of Gialli that you should see by director Luciano Ercoli. Uh, we're going to watch Death Walks at Midnight from 1972. Nice. I have the blue and I've not watched it yet, so this is a great time to cool. dig in. Excellent. I did do some checking. Um, you can watch this on Tubi. Nice, another Tubi. Um, so the same criticisms we had of Tubi before still apply with the commercials and shit. Um, but if you don't have the Blu-ray like Dustin does, you can watch it on Tubi. Or we could all just gather up and go over to Dustin's house. Yeah. We can. We do have another slightly exciting announcement. Um, we'll drop that on the bonus episode. Okay, I think. cool. Build some, build some tension. Yeah, so make sure... That you listen to the bonus episode because yeah. we're excited to let you know about this. Yeah. yeah. Do you even know what we're talking in. about, Jason? Yeah, I know what we're talking okay. about. <laughs> you had a look on your face like, oh, yeah, we totally have an exciting announcement. So, <laughs> No, I, I, know, I know what we're talking about. <laughs> ah, great. Okay. Uh, and thanks again for listening. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. forgot what my, what's my spiel. Uh, write in. Let us know what you thought of this movie. What uh, Reach out to us on the socials. Reach Prisoners out to us. of the Ghostland broke me. Apparently. Uh, and my brain is gone now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your comments, <laughs> messages. Watch uh, Prisoner of the Ghostland with caution. It might break you like it did Michael. <laughs> Uh-oh. Be forewarned. Um, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email. Send us a raven. Yep. Um, if you're Somebody sending us listener, if some of you, if you're doing listener requests, we've got a bunch. Uh, we haven't forgot you. I know it seems like maybe we have. I think when we do these theme things, we're going to break that up with listener episodes as like the gaps to kind of that'd be cool. Little partner. cool down from our topics. Yeah. Um, sweet. So they're coming. Don't think we forgot you. I forgot you. They didn't know. I haven't. I keep on top of it. Don't <laughs> yeah. Worry. There's a couple I'm really anxious to see. I yeah. usually just wait until someone texts me and tells me it's my pick. You know, and then I scramble and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 2021, pretty cool, awesome start. Uh, thank you for all the time you spent listening. If you've tuned in at all, even if it's just for one episode, yeah, we appreciate thanks, it. Yeah, um, Means a lot to us. Absolutely. I'll do my gushing on the, okay. on the last the, one. Yeah, okay. on the last one. All right, so uh, thanks for listening and uh, hit us up, genreexposure at gmail.com. I think I can finish it off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As always, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Take care. Bye. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.